Good morning. It's so wonderful to see each and every one of you out this morning. It's wonderful to be up and be out this morning. The writer, uh, or excuse me, Easton had his, his birthday party this weekend, and, and I guess him turning five really brought back the young man in me, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll jump in there and play with them, and, and I'm feeling the repercussions of that this morning just a little bit. I'm a little bit sore a little bit tired from that, but I'm energized and I'm picked up because I'm here with you. I'm so thankful that you are here with me as well, and as we have the opportunity to worship our God. Five days. <clears throat> that day, that, that number is going to bring attention to a lot of children, a lot of adults in this world. Five days, because that's how many more days we have until we celebrate Christmas. And now, the whole world is going to spend this time gathering together, remembering uh, times of, of Christmas's past, remembering uh, people that they have shared Christmases with and, and maybe have passed away or have moved on to it, maybe farther away from them uh, uh, geographically. And, and we're going to spend this time remembering those, those happy moments that we had together. Children are going to spend a lot of this time shredding presents and, and just like confetti, uh, gift wrapping, flying in the air. And, and much of the world is going to spend this time remembering Christ's birth. Remembering, the, setting apart this day to remember that birth. And, and this morning my purpose of my sermon is not to discuss that particularly. But it is something that we should be remembering on a daily basis. Something that we should set aside every day for. Now, unfortunately some well-meaning Christians have, have come up with sayings like, Well, Christ's birth is only important because it brought about His death. And, and things like that really don't, they don't progress uh, Christianity in the world in the way that it should be progressed. Because Christ's birth is very important to us. It is a, an important thing for us to remember, important thing for us to think upon. And we think about His birth. We think about the sacrifice that He made for us. The sacrifice in coming down to this earth. In, in, in becoming a mortal man. And all the, the pains that go with that. The, the pains, uh, maybe, maybe he had days where he played a little too hard and he woke up the next morning with sore. As a carpenter, I can imagine there were plenty of times where he banged his thumb or, or, or hurt himself in some way and he had to deal with all these things that he really should never have had to deal with had he not come to this earth. So we think of what Christ gave up for us. And then later in his life we think of what Christ gave for us. It should help us to, to, to focus our minds and say, what am I giving for Him? What is it that I give for Christ? So this morning, I want to ask the question. I want to ask the question, are you an all-star? Are you an all-star? Now, you might be kind of going, what? What do you mean by that? What, what do you mean, am I an all-star? And so before we get in this lesson, we need to understand what an all-star is. Now, in sports, we understand this phrase pretty well. An all-star is the best of the best. About, in, in minor league, I can't remember quite the year that I was, that I played minor league baseball. I remember I played for the Cubs, and I played right field. That should tell you how good a baseball player I was. They didn't want me anywhere near the action. They put me out there. But I made the all-star team for, for Winchester. That should also tell you something about Winchester and how shallow the pool was that they had to draw from. But I made the all-star team. I, I got the opportunity to play with the best of the best from Winchester. 
And in sports, we can understand that. We can understand what an all-star is. In baseball, maybe it's someone who really knows how to field the ball. They have their mindset to where the play is at and where that ball needs to get to to, to to complete the play. Or maybe it's someone who really knows how to run the bases. Or maybe it's someone who knows where to hit the ball. If there's a guy on second and he's trying to make it to third, you don't want a little dribbler going right to the third baseman. You want to give him the best opportunity. So, so we understand that. We can pick people out in sports and say, that's a good baseball player. Or what about basketball? If you watched the game last night, you go, I didn't see any all-stars on the court last night. Well, maybe one. Murray did pretty good. But the rest of the team, you kind of wondered where they were at. A basketball player, maybe someone who knows where their teammates are. Have you seen that? I saw it a few times last night where someone would go up and they didn't even really look. They just kind of knew where that guy was at, how to get the ball to him. Somebody that has the capability of taking the ball to the basket. We can easily pick out all-stars in basketball or football. Maybe it's a quarterback who knows how to just read the defense. And what, what is lined up against him, he says, this, this play that we have is not going to work against this defense. I've got to change my play. Or maybe it's an offensive lineman who, who can put his feet planted firmly in the ground, and he says, you're not getting past me. You're going to try, and, and you're going to try to get that ball away from our quarterback. You're going to try to sack him, but you're not getting past me. I'm putting my feet down. Or maybe it's the whole team that just keeps pushing and keeps pushing towards that end zone. No matter what is thrown against them, they're not going to stop. They're going to keep going. They are the best of the best, the all-stars. We ask ourselves, well, how did they get that good? How does that basketball player know where his teammates are? How does that football player know how to read that play? It's because of training. It's because of the all the time that they have spent training themselves, studying the play, studying the game. We understand this when we talk about sports. But what about when it comes to our service to God? Are we all-stars? Can we say that about ourselves? Are we training to be all-star Christians? One thing that any all-star is going to need, an all-star is going to need focus. Turn with me to, to the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12 and the first two verses of this chapter reads, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This morning we're going to look at several verses, all of which really have a, a tie back to athletics, to sports. It tells me that in that day sports were probably just about as big a thing, if not bigger, maybe they are today. And a lot of, uh, of examples were given in relationship to athletics that, that really helped the Christian understand some truths that we need to understand. And this first one, Hebrews 12, tells us that we need to be focused. We need to be focused on the task that is at hand. I want to give you an example of, of something that, that I've grown to become a little passionate about, and that's rock climbing. Uh, me and some friends and my wife, we have spent a little bit of time rock climbing. Nothing like some of the, the, the really hardcore rock climbers of the day, but we've spent a little bit of time. And there's some things that you have to realize when you're going to be rock climbing. One of those things is that you have to be focused on what's going on. You can't have your mind here or there floating around. You really have to pay attention to what you're doing. And one thing that a focused rock climber will do is they will gather info 
on a climb. They, they call it beta. They're going to get as much beta on a climb as they can. Take a climb like out in Yosemite National Park is a mountain called El Capitan. El Capitan is a famous mountain that people go and visit every year, but it's a really, really hot spot for climbers because it's some of the hardest climbing in the world. Some of the hardest climbing in the whole wide world is right here in our backyard of the United States of America. And so these climbers that want to attempt to climb this climb, they go and, and, and they just show up one day and decide, I'm going to climb this mountain, and they start climbing. No, that's not quite how it happens. Some of them do. Some of them are crazy. But other ones look to go, who's climbed this mountain before? I'm going to go talk to them and ask them, what can I expect? What goes on in this climb? What, what, do, what information can you give me? What help can you give me in this climb that I have in front of me? And they're going to hear things like, well, at this one point, the real crux of the climb, the hardest part, it's going to get so tough that you're, you're really going to want to give up. You're going to want to say, oh, okay, I'm done. I, I just, I, this mountain has defeated me. I can't climb it. But if you'll look right here, right in this one spot, maybe a little bit to the right of this, is there's a perfect handhold. Or there's a foothold that you can get it hold of and you can relax for a minute. They'll say things like, don't give up. They'll say things like, this is what worked for me. This is what didn't work for me when I climbed it. Don't try to go this route. Try to go this way. They do this because they, they have been focused on it themselves, and they have accomplished it. And so that's what a, what a focused rock climber will do. They will go and they will ask these sort of questions. Because no one ever really wakes up and says, I'm going to be a professional at anything. Maybe it's boxing. Nobody woke up and went, you know what, I'm going to throw, throw my hat in the ring with some of the world's heavyweight champions, and I think I'm going to come out all right in that. I'm going to go all 15 rounds with them, and I'm going to survive. And I think survive is probably the right word to use with some of these men. No, they focus on their goals. No one wakes up and says, I'm going to be a professional ball player today. I'm just going to go and compete with, with, with the likes of, of, of Kobe Bryant or LeBron James or some of these men that have become famous in our day. I'm just going to go and compete with them, and I'm going to hold my own with them. No, what people do is they focus on their goals. They set a goal for themselves, and they train, and they reach, and they fight to get to attain that goal. And when they have questions, they look for advice, and they model themselves after people who have been successful before them. And in Romans 12, we have just got through looking at successful people from Romans 11. Romans 11 talks about all these successful people that have done things that we are trying to do today. It talks about Abraham. It talks about the patriarchs. About Moses. And how they overcame by faith. And we see people who were trying to serve God and were successful at it. And we can take example from them. So that's what verse 1 is telling us of this chapter. It is saying, focus on your race. Focus on your race, and to do so, you need to examine how other people before you have run that race. And so doing, you need to remove the things that are going to weigh you down. The things that are going to ensnare you, get rid of those because they're going to cause you to stumble. But then verse 2 goes on a little bit further and says, don't just look at the people that have run it before. Look at him who was perfect in running that race. Look at Jesus. Focus on him as someone who got it right. This says the author and, and, and the finisher, some translations say the author and perfecter of our faith. Look at him and ask yourselves, how did he endure? Just how was it that he did that? How did he handle the problems that he was uh, approached with? How did he treat others? Maybe those that hurt him. 
Maybe those that were kind to him. How did he treat them? How did he treat our Heavenly Father? We need to have focus if we're going to be all-stars. And a great place to start is focusing on Jesus. But focus isn't the only thing we're going to need. If we're going to be an all-star for Christ, an all-star for God, one other thing that we need is we're going to need self-control. Turn over to 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to read a little bit about some self-control. Look in verses 24 through 25. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Now in this passage uses a word that, that isn't real, real common today. That word is temperate. We use that word still some, but we don't use it as much as maybe in days past. But another word for temperate is self-control. As it says in verse 25, everyone who competes for the prize is temperate. It could say everyone who competes for the, the prize practices self-control in all things. Athletes must have self-control to be an all-star. When I consider some of these Olympic athletes, they, they, they blow my mind, the level of self-control they must have. Because to be at their peak physical performance, to give that peak physical performance, they must methodically monitor everything that goes into their body. Because no great athlete ever got that way by eating Mickey D's three times a day. They didn't get that way by putting junk into their body, but by putting healthy things into their body, things that are going to help their body work the way, the way that it can at a maximum level. Not things that are going to slow them down, but things that are going to give them the strength that they need. And the thing is, if you talk to most of these athletes and a lot of interviews that are done with these athletes, they don't just love eating this way. It's not something they just wake up every morning and just, I can't wait to have that, that smoothie made out of all these different roots and, and different sorts of things that just taste awful. I can't wait for that. And I sure do hate a big greasy cheeseburger or, or bacon and eggs and pancakes. I hate all that stuff. No, when you talk to them, they're like, no, that stuff's really good. I love eating like that, but I can't eat like that if I'm going to function at the level I want to function at. And so again, physically, we do understand this. What we put into our body is what we're going to get back out of it. But what about spiritually? Do we practice self-control over our spiritual body? Maybe it's in the shows that we watch. Maybe it's in the music that we listen to. Or the people even that we fill our times with. Can we say we're practicing self-control over what goes into our hearts? Because maybe it's that show that, that you just get so much entertainment out of. You, you, you enjoy watching this show. It makes you laugh or whatever it is that it gives you. It's really funny to you or it just it makes you think about something in your life. But something about this show just brings great entertainment to you. But you know there's that one side of it that maybe, maybe it, it makes fun of God. Maybe it makes fun of the idea of believing in God. Or maybe, maybe it supports things that God finds sinful like homosexuality. Or glamorizes adultery and unfaithfulness. Do we let that into our spiritual body? If we are doing so, can we truly say that we are being heart healthy? If that's the kind of things that we're filling our heart with? And tied closely to self-control is discipline. 
And in the very next verse of this, of this same chapter that we're in, 1 Corinthians 9, let's continue on and look at verse 26 and 27. Paul says, Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, and thus I fight not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Here we see Paul talking about discipline. And discipline and self-control really do go hand in hand. Because discipline involves self-control because it often involves sacrifice. Maybe in preparing for a race. When preparing for a race, runners will sacrifice large amounts of time to train. Now it's true that they may enjoy that training on some levels. Maybe they, 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 they really like the way they feel as they're running or after a run. But it's still a sacrifice because there's still other things that they would like to be doing with that time. Time that they spend building muscle and building up their cardiovascular abilities so that they can have endurance is also time spent away from friends, time spent away from family, and from even other worldly desires that they might like to engage in. But they set those things aside so that they can devote themselves to training. They are disciplined. I've even heard of people who who leave where they live to go train in places like Colorado. Where the elevation is different and the air is thinner and it can help themselves to become stronger in different sorts of environments. They are devoted to their discipline. And Paul here in these verses is saying that he is devoted. He's not simply just swatting at the air. He's focused. He's practiced self-control. He's disciplined himself. He knows his purpose. He knows what he's doing. Can we say the same thing? Can we say that we are disciplined in our training? Ask yourselves, how often do I train? Maybe, do I train in reading my Bible? Am I taking God's Word and applying it to my heart? Am I building myself up in strength like that? Or how often do I spend in prayer? How much time do I spend telling God, thank you for the things that He has given me? Maybe even the things that have trained me up in my my Bible reading. How much time do I spend telling God, this is what I need? This is what I need to be stronger. Please help me. Help me to be an all-star. How about this? How how much time do we spend training ourselves to speak to others about spiritual matters? In a conversation with others, maybe we we can speak and the words just flow right off our tongue. We're talking about worldly things, about what's going on at the office or what's going on in our family. But when the the conversation shifts to the spiritual matters, it just kind of dries up. Because we're not training ourselves to speak in such ways. When we sacrifice our friends and our family and and time with the world for the sake of Christ. See, if we're going to be giving God our best, if we are going to be giving Him everything that we can, we must be disciplining ourselves so that we can build ourselves up as stronger Christians. And the last thing I want to look at this morning The last thing that I want to notice for us to be an all-star is we have to, have to, have to play by the rules. Play by the rules. Turn back over, uh, turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and look in verse 5. Where again Paul says, And also if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. If you remember back in 1998, 1998, two men were really going at it for, for the, 
the title of the king of the home run, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. These two men were larger in life in my world. I heard about them at school. All my friends were talking about it. He hit one last night. Well, he hit two last night. They were going back up. Who's going to break 61 first? They were just, who's going to break that record? Who's going to have the most at the end of the season? I got home. It was on the news. It was being talked about. That dominated those things. And then a couple of years later, it comes out that illegal substances might have been involved. We have, we have court rulings and, and, and we're having investigations. And then we have, we have confessions. Yes, I, I, I took HGH, human growth hormone, and, and others lying about, no, no, I didn't do it. When reports are saying, yes, you did. We, we tested you. It's in your blood. Who really remembers them for, for what they did for baseball? Because what they did for baseball was great. If you remember years before that, there had been strikes that were going on. Baseball was seeing a huge drop. It, it really wasn't the, the glamorous history that it had, had kind of fizzled. And these men brought attention back to this sport. But nobody remembers them for that because they didn't play by the rules. It's so disappointing when players cheat because to win, you truly must win by the rules. Now this morning we could spend a great deal of time looking at denominations and the world, but we're not going to do that because so many of them admit, they would have freely admit that yes, we create some of our own rules. We create some of our own creeds that are outside of the Bible. Sometimes even saying we, we create our own rules because the Bible is, it, it can't be trusted anymore. It's been changed over time because of men. So, so we're not going to look at that. We're, we're not going to spend our time looking at that side of it. That, that would just be too easy this morning. This morning I want to focus on something a little bit harder than that. I want to look at ourselves. I want to look at each and every one of us and ask ourselves, um, am I playing by the rules? Now, some people might be quick to say, whoa, whoa, whoa that, that sounds a little bit legalistic. The rules, you're one of these letter of the law guys, aren't you, Kyle? Don't you know? The New Testament's all about the spirit of the law. We don't have rules. And you know what? There is something to be said about our attitudes there is something to be said about the spirit of the law. But we also must remember that Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Commandments are not suggestions. They're not good little ways that we might ought to live. Commandments are rules. They are laws. They are things that we cannot break if we truly love Jesus. So are we playing? By his rules? Are we playing by his law? I would say this morning that that answer is no. We are not doing that if we choose for ourselves what is important. What are we are going to believe and we are not going to believe? Maybe it's something along the lines of, I, I will come to services, I, I'm going to be here, but, but there's certain things that I just think are silly. I'm not going to do. Maybe, maybe it's in our singing. I'm, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to sing with everybody. I, I'm just happy to sit here and listen. I'm not going to sing. Or maybe it's in our giving. That's just something that man's created to, to get more money for the preacher. It's not. But these are the kind of things that some Christians do. And when we do that, we are not playing by the rules. We are not listening to what has been laid out for us clearly in the Bible. Maybe it's this attitude of, I'm going to act like a Christian on Sundays and Wednesdays. I will, I will act like a Christian on those days, but when I get back into the world, 
my light's going to be kind of hidden a little bit. Maybe like that song we sing as kids, I'm going to put a bushel over it. I'm going to put a basket over it. I'm going to hide that light. And so not everybody in the world sees it. Maybe it's because it's more, more convenient for me. My friends, my family, they don't like the, the, the life that a Christian lives. And so they ask me a lot of questions or they make fun of me or they ridicule me. I'm going to hide it so it's easier for me. Or maybe it's just that I don't like that one part in the scriptures about blank. I don't like that part about, about women in the church. That was just chauvinistic Paul back there saying all sorts of things that he shouldn't have said. Or, or maybe I don't like that part about homosexuality because that's just that's an old way of living. That's written to those people of that day and this day we have different rules, different laws. Whenever we start choosing what we, what we like and what we don't like, what parts we're going to follow and what parts we're not going to follow, well, we're not playing by the rules anymore. We're making our own rules. And when you don't play by the rules, you cheapen the win. What's a, what's a win really worth if you didn't play by the rules? If you, if you took the shortcut that wasn't on the map that nobody else was allowed to take, you got to the front of the race, and, and, and you beat everybody there. But you know that you didn't really win. You were in last place when you found that shortcut and you kind of snuck around everybody. It's almost like we forget. It's almost like we forget who's going to be judging us. You know, you look at some of your, some of your athletic teams, maybe, maybe it's your favorite basketball team or whatever, and, and sometimes we recognize that the officials, they just they don't always see things the way we see them on our couch at home. Sometimes you see the call they make and you just think, that guy is blind as a bat. His foot was on the line. That wasn't a three-pointer. He didn't travel. That was a foul. Or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe you're saying, I'm glad they're not calling these calls because my team is just walking all over these guys. They're beating them up. and They're too physical, but they're not calling it, and I'm happy about that. Our judge is perfect. Our judge sees our actions. Our judge knows our hearts. No one is going to cheat their way into heaven. So again this morning I ask the question, are you an all-star? Do you want to be an all-star? Is that something that you desire to be? Or are you kind of content to just be a ho-hum player? I'm not sitting on the benches, I'm out there in the field playing, but, but I'm not giving it my best. I'm just trying, to, just trying to get through the game. Jesus describes people like that over in Revelation chapter 3. He talks about people that are kind of middle-of-the-road Christians, kind of straddle the fence on both sides, one side uh, for Christ and the other side for the world. In verses 14, or 15 through 16, he says, I know your works. I know your works and that you are neither cold nor hot, and I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. I will spew you out of my mouth, some translations say. Do we really think Jesus is looking for anything less than an all-star? For someone who has trained themselves, someone who has focused their life, who practices self-control and discipline, someone who plays by the rules, someone who is giving their best, giving their all to to the Lord. Because God isn't looking for people just to put on the uniform. He isn't looking for positions on the field just to stand there and and not play their part. He's looking for souls who will give their all to Him. And so this morning I encourage you to set your eye on your race. 
to get out there and play with all of your heart. To give the Lord all that you have so that on that day, on that great and glorious day, you can say in 2 Timothy 4, 7, Paul says these words, you can say the same thing, I have fought the good race, or I have fought the fight. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Will you be able to say that on that day? Or will you be saying, eh, I gave some. Or maybe you'll be saying, well, I gave all, but I cheated. I took the, the, the shortcut. I took the easy way around. Or maybe you'll be saying, I didn't play at all. I didn't even show up for the game. This morning, if, if you have said it in, in, in your mind that you want to be an all-star, know that you can't do so until you first show up, until you first decide that you are going to, to play for His team, until you're going to decide to become a child of, of God. To do so, the Bible lays it out, it's very clear. We are to to repent of the sins that are in our lives. We're going to turn our back on our old life, on our sinful way. We're going to turn ourselves towards God, towards Christ. We're going to confess that we believe He is the Son of God. We're going to confess that we believe that He is living. And then all those sins that we've turned our back on, we're going to allow Him to wash them away, to cover them up with the blood that He shed on that cross for us. We're going to do so in that watery grave of baptism. If that be your desire this morning, if you desire to become a child of God, know that we stand ready to assist you. We look forward of rejoicing with the angels in heaven through your, through your salvation. But maybe you've already made that decision and you realize that I've not been an all-star. Maybe you realize I've been a bench warmer. I've been sitting on the sidelines. It's ready time for me to get up and get back in the game. To get back in the fight that we have been placed in as members of the kingdom of God. If there is some way that we can help you this morning, I pray that you would come forward now as we stand and as we sing.